you're a guest with us this morning, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are grateful and thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, students, welcome back. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, I hope that you guys know that, uh, that when you're not here, uh, the family of Providence Road, we feel it, and uh, we are uh, grateful and thankful that you're back in town. Uh, we've missed you, and so it's good to, to have you here. Hey, listen, we are excited. We are starting a new series this morning. And uh, we are starting the series, uh, so we'll be going through the book of Genesis. Uh, so this morning, that's what we're going to, uh, to, to do, and we'll be in Genesis for, uh, for several more months uh, to come. And now, um, let me just kind of lay out how we are actually going to do this, because as, as you probably are familiar, Genesis is a really long book. And so we're not necessarily going to take uh, every single verse and just kind of pick it apart, uh, though we'll spend a lot of time in verse 1 this morning. But... Uh, what we're going to do is, as we go throughout this semester, we're going to hit the major themes, and there are some big, big themes all throughout the, uh, the book of Genesis. And so, um, themes like we're going to see this morning of uh, who created the, the cosmos, who created the heavens and the earth, uh, why uh, did uh, the creator create, like what's our, what's our purpose, why do we exist as created beings? Um, we're going to continue uh, and, and kind of look at themes like the need for rest. I don't know if you, uh, as, uh, as this morning, if you need to Sabbath, if you need to, 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 to find some rest this morning, we'll look at the, the need to, to do that. We'll look at uh, the theology of work and the uh, theology of, of, of marriage and gender. We'll look at, um, we'll look at issues of, of sin and redemption. All of these things lay out uh, for us in the book of Genesis. And so we have great expectations this semester. The Lord is going to, uh, to take us deep into some, some really, really important things for us as, uh, as his people. And uh, in this time and age and season in which we live, uh, that God will do some amazing things among us to shape us uh, more into his image and create uh, a heart within us that, that loves his glory, that sees his glory, that sees his purposes in this world. And so we are going to, uh, to dive deep into that this morning as we look at creation. So with that said, I invite you guys to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the verses will be on the screen. But listen, I do encourage you to open up a, a Bible, maybe a physical Bible. If you don't have one, there's one on your seat, seat next to you. Uh, if you have an app or whatever, uh, because we're going to kind of uh, be, be looking at the totality of this morning. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. We're going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. So we're going to read uh, quite a bit at the initial part of, of our time together, but there's a reason for that. Uh, it's meant to really be read as a, as a total kind of creation story. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way to, to verse 4 in chapter 2. So... Hang with me, pay attention, stay with me as we read it. Uh, so that's why I kind of tell you to open up a Bible and, and read along with me. So let's start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good. And God separated light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate from the waters from the, from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, to every bird in the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the day the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord of the universe. Let's pray.
Father, as we look at your creation account, Father, we ask that we would be in awe of you this morning. That we would be amazed that you are a personal creator. That you create and you stay intimately involved with your creation. You enjoy your creation. You love your creation. That you do not just create and then remove yourself. But you stay intimately involved in our lives. And may we see how this is good news for our hearts and lives, and may we see that you are the sovereign creator and that we were made by you and that you rule over us and you have authority over us, but you are good. You are a good king. You are a good creator. And may we find great hope in that news of who you are this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, I asked my eight-year-old and my six-year-old, I said, all right, what is the first book of the Bible? And uh, obviously, they uh, have uh, grown up in, in church, and so they knew that the first book of the Bible was Genesis, and I'm sure that didn't catch most of you uh, by surprise either, or you knew the answer to that question, what is the first book of the Bible? Everyone probably in here knows that it is Genesis, and in one way, uh, that is correct, but it's important for us to understand it. In another way, uh, it's not really correct. So when we open up the Bible, yes, like the first book that we see is the book of Genesis, but Genesis is connected to a larger book or books in the Bible called the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch is not some Pokemon character uh, that my son thought it was, right? It's not that. It is the first five books of the Old Testament. So it is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, most scholars agree that Moses wrote most of the Pentateuch, and he wrote it after the Exodus uh, of the people of Israel out of slavery out of Egypt. And so Genesis is written by Moses sometime around the time of 1260 B.C. or 1440 B.C. There is some kind of debate among scholars about actually when, but most scholars kind of land on the, uh, the, the date that it was written was sometime between 1260 and 1440 B.C. Now, why is this important? Or what's important about the Pentateuch and understanding uh, Genesis' relation to the Pentateuch? This is why it's important. When the Pentateuch was written, it was really written as one large uh, literary piece. So in other words, it is to be read as one kind of uninterrupted story that kind of begins with Moses in Exodus chapter 1 in his birth and ends with his death in Deuteronomy chapter 34. But here we are in Genesis. And Genesis, more or less, is a prequel, right? So it's, it's a pre prequel uh, to the main story within the Pentateuch of God's redemption of his people. So it gives us uh, the backstory. It gives us uh, the beginning of all things. It shows us of how everything came into being. And so that is more or less the, the purpose or the big kind of picture of Genesis. It is the pre prequel to God's bigger story of redemption in the Pentateuch. Now, 
in verse 1, the backstory begins with this simple but significant verse. Verse 1 says it pretty simply. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's important for us to understand the culture and the time in which the Pentateuch or Genesis was written to kind of give us a better understanding of the significance of that one simple statement, that one verse, all right? So we have to understand the main objections or the main argument during the time in which Genesis was written. So during the time Genesis was written, the main argument was not... Did a divine being create the universe or was it some impersonal force? So unlike today, which that is kind of the, 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 the two camps, right? Like today, uh, the main argument was, well, is there a divine uh, creator that, that created everything? Or was there this kind of pre-existing matter that kind of collided together, which now kind of over billions of years has kind of evolved and, and, and the world is what it is today as a result of this pre-existing matter colliding. That wasn't the argument then. The, the main argument or the main kind of debate during the time that Genesis was written was who? Who created the heavens and earth? Not, not necessarily what or these, this kind of pre-existing impersonal matter. It was who? What God or gods created the cosmos? Who created the stars? Who, who created the moon? Who created the plants and the, and the trees? Who, who created the sky and the heaven? Who created human beings? And as a result of that question, the greater question then is who rules, right? Who creates and who rules over creation, including human beings? That was the question being asked. Who creates and who has the power? Was it the Babylonian gods? Did Tiamat, the, if I pronounce that right, did Tiamat, the female god, who represents the fresh water, and Absu, the male, a god who represents uh, the salt water, did they kind of mingle together, if you know what I mean, and produce uh, new gods? And, and is it true that uh, Absu now could not sleep because uh, he has all these now young little gods running around, and so he decides that he's going to take care of his sleep de uh, deprivation problem, and he's going to kill his kids? And is it true that one of the younger gods, the god of wisdom, found out about his dad's plan and killed his dad before he could kill his brothers and sisters? And now his mom is really upset because now her kid killed her husband and she wants vengeance. Uh, to make a long story short, her grandson comes along and kills her and then rules over all creation and makes it what it is today. Is that true? I mean, or, or is it the Canaanite story? If you guys are familiar with the Old Testament, Baal, the god Baal, the Israelites uh, kind of fall into this, in this kind of cycle of worshiping Baal. Is Baal the creator of all things? Did he have a, a war with, with Yam, whose name is C? And he actually uh, goes to the god of craftsmanship and says, hey, can you uh, create a club for me so I can destroy Yam? And he ends up destroying Yam, and now Baal rules over all things and creates the world as we know it today. Is that the creation account? Listen, these stories sound absolutely crazy, don't they? But these were the stories, this is where the, the creation account that the people of Israel, 
that they were under or they were kind of battling against. But here comes Genesis 1-1, and it tells us, it tells the people of Israel, it tells us very simply that there is one God. There's one God who created the heavens and the earth. It tells us simply that the God of the Bible, he created all things. He rules and he reigns over all of creation, including human beings, which means he rules and reigns over you and me. There, there are no rival gods. There is no evil plot to take over other gods. There is one sovereign, one all-powerful God who has always existed. Nothing created him. He has always been there, and he creates the world as we know it today. That's Genesis 1.1. Now, before we go deeper into this story, there's something that we, kind of, we need to address before we dive into it. There are some of us here this morning that as we read the creation account in the Bible, you may think that the creation account in the Bible is just as crazy as the Babylonian and the, and the Canaanite cre- creation account. But here's the deal. Every single one of us in this place this morning, we came in here with some sort of belief of how we got here, Right? I mean, every single one of us, we have some belief system that explains how we were created and how the world was created. And no matter what our our belief system is, it actually takes faith to believe that to be true, right? So if you believe that there is some pre-existing matter, not God, but some pre-existing impersonal matter that collided, setting up this chain reaction, That over billions and billions of years, it created the world as we know it today, and it has created human beings, or we've evolved, human beings have evolved into the most sophisticated and intricate beings that there ever have been. It takes faith to believe that. Like, you weren't there. I wasn't there to see that. And neither were we there to see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here we are this morning dealing with matters of faith. Because whatever your belief system is on how we got here, how the world is what it is today, it takes some sort of faith to believe that to be true. And so here we are this morning asking the same question that human beings have been asking for thousands and thousands of years. Who created the heavens and the earth? Who rules? Who reigns over all of creation? And so that is the most important question that we can ask. Who? Because that is the question that Genesis chapter 1 is focusing on. Who? Not so much the how of creation. Uh, We will get into the how and the why next week. But the main thing that Genesis chapter 1 is trying to communicate to us is who. 32 times, guys. 32 times alone the word God is used in chapter 1. That's significant. And the author Moses is trying to help us understand that he is predominant, that he is the main subject of all of Genesis. So listen, if we don't get the who right, man, like everything begins to fall apart. Now, why is it important for us to ask the who? Because there is this danger and there is this tendency, especially when we deal with Genesis chapter 1 and creation, is for us to try to figure out the how of creation. 
So we get so bogged down into the how of creation because the how of creation, those questions are so much easier to ask, right? Because they don't really affect our lives. They don't really change our lives. I mean, we can get caught up in the questions of, well, was it literally uh, 24 hours a day? You know, the, the six days, were those 24 hours or were they ages of time? How does, how does science and how does evolution play into uh, creation? How, how old is the earth? I mean, these questions are so important for us to ask. But listen, the, the better question or the more important question that our hearts long to know is who made us? How do we get here? If we were created by a creator, then what is our relationship to be like with him? And most importantly, who is he? Most importantly, like, what is he like? These are the most important questions to ask because they begin then to, 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 to affect our lives and begin to change our life because, for one example, as we're going to see, if it's true that God created the heavens and the earth, which includes you and me, creates all things, then he has ultimate authority over us. And therefore, if he has ultimate authority over us, then we should submit every single part of our lives to him. You see why we stick with dinosaur questions? Right? Like, who has time for this authority business? Let's just stick with how the dinosaurs get here and what happened to the dinosaurs, right? But that's not what we're going to do. Because that's not the main point of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the who. Who created the heavens and the earth? And we're going to see that based on this creation account in the Bible, we see that God is the creator, and there's two main things to see, that God is personal, and he is sovereign. He is personal, and he is sovereign. So let's look at the personal. The, one of the most important things to see is that the God of the Bible who created the heavens and the earth is not an it, okay? God is personal, which means he speaks, he plans, he creates, he enjoys. God is not some impersonal force who creates and then removes himself from creation. He creates and then he stays intimately involved in creation. Now, why is that significant? Well, let's compare it to one of the major thoughts today on creation or maybe evolution, however you want to say it, that the creation happened as a result of impersonal matter forming and creating the cosmos. Not God. It was essentially the cosmos that created everything. Something within the cosmos, some pre-existing impersonal matter collided and formed over billions of years what we know of the world today and how we got here today. Carl Sagan, famous American astronomer, says this, Billions and billions of years ago, the cosmos is all that there is and was and ever shall be. Now, let's think about the implications of this, okay? If the cosmos is all that there is and all that there was and all that there ever will be, then the cosmos is responsible for your existence. Not God, the cosmos. But it's impersonal. Cosmos doesn't care about you. Cosmos doesn't even know that you even exist. So if this is true, then we came from actually nowhere. We are here by chance. We're simply uh, here today and we're gone tomorrow. But where is the hope in that? I mean, if it's true 
that we came into existence based on the, this impersonal force, something within the cosmos, then where is the beauty? Where is the significance? Where is the passion? Where is the, the purpose that all of our created hearts this morning that we long for and that we hope for? There isn't any. We're just left to ourselves in this vast universe with no reason for existing and no hope for a future. Guys, if the cosmos is all that there is and all that there was and all that there will ever be, what hope do I have laying in a hospital bed? And what purpose do you have to get up in the morning? And what do, I, what do we do with all of our desires within us for beauty and to be loved? And to love someone back. What do we do with all these strong desires within us for joy and to enjoy life? Where did they come from? And most importantly, how are they actually satisfied? Not the cosmos. Cosmos can't satisfy it. The cosmos did not create us for this desire for beauty and to be loved and love someone back. And this, 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 this innate desire for, for joy and to enjoy life. I'm here to say that it's the God of Genesis who created us, who created you. You see, if the creation account in Genesis is true, guys, it changes everything. And this is how. When we leave this place this morning and you see the sun, you see the birds in the sky and the trees on the land and you eat some delicious fruit for lunch, hopefully you have some fruit, some veggies, maybe some cow, Beef, whatever you want to call it. Chicken. Chick-fil-A's closed, so can't go there. When you eat this stuff, when you enjoy your kids, when you enjoy a relationship with your spouse, when you enjoy friendship, God, not the cosmos, the one who has always existed and will be created all of these things for you. In the beginning, God... God created the heavens and the earth. On day one, he created light. On day two, he made, he made the clouds, the heavens or the clouds, separating of the sky and the seas to produce water and air to, 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 to have things grow, vegetation to grow. He created land for us to live on and to thrive. He commanded earth to provide food for us. He gave us the sun, he gave the moon, he gave it purpose to shine light on his created beings, created the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. Day six, he creates us. He creates us to know him. God made you, not the cosmos. God created you. And he created all that we see and touch and hear and smell and taste. He created it for you. He created a place for us to live, but not just to live. He created all of these things. He brought us into existence for the main purpose. The main reason is to know this God personally. You can know God. You can know him personally. The one who created all things created you for the purpose of knowing him. That is why you are created. So what this means for us this morning is huge. Because of this being true, you are not alone in the universe. You're not here. We're not here by some impersonal force. You are not a mistake. 
You're not here by some random chance. You exist because the God of the Bible made you. Psalm 139, 13, for you, for you, O God, you formed, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, do you see now the significance and beauty of this story? That you are valuable, that you are special, that you are unique, that you have the utmost worth. Why? Because the one who has the that is infinitely valuable made you. He formed you. He knits you together just as you are in your mother's womb. You are wonderfully made because it was God who made you, and he doesn't make mistakes. Even my 13-year-old niece, who because of seizures when she was born has never been able to walk, she's never been able to speak, but she is not a mistake. She's not here by just some random chance. She is she has purpose, she is beautiful, she is wonderful because God made her exactly how he wanted to make her and he does not make mistakes. She's got purpose. God has used her to change my life more than anyone else that I have ever met. She is valuable, she is precious because God made her and so are you. So are you. And he cares about you. He knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which isn't too difficult for him for me. And he loves what he made. He enjoys what he's made. It's good. You're good. Because you're created in his image. Now, we're going to see later in the story that there's been some image issues I created all things good, but there's now this brokenness, and we're going to see why. But he created us. He enjoys us. He loves us. You see how this changes things? That there is not something, but there is someone who is greater and bigger than all of us who created you and knows you intimately and, and, and loves you. And this reality, this truth should change the way that we live because now when we wake up in the morning, our primary reason for existing isn't to go to work, isn't to go to school, isn't to take care of our kids. These are just gifts. The primary reason for existing is to know this God who created you, who knows you, who made you, who enjoys you, who loves you. So the question is, do you know him? You long to know him. By faith, do you long to seek him? I mean... The life that you live, the life that he's given to you, and every breath that you breathe that he gives to you, that he's given to you already, every single breath that we've taken this morning is a gift from him that he has given to us. Why? To draw near to him, to pursue him, to long for him, to know him. The amazing thing about creation, guys, it's not the cosmos who created us. It is God who created us. He is personal. He loves us, wants an intimate relationship with us. He creates. He stays involved. It's part of God being personal. And also a part of God being personal is that he speaks. Listen, did you notice how powerful his voice is in this 
story? Listen to this repetition. Verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse. What does it say? And it was so. Verse 9. God said, let dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and it was so. Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and it was so. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to the kind, and it was so. Verse 26, let, the, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and it was so. On and on and on. The amazing thing to see is that God simply speaks, and by the power of his word and spirit, things come into being. We see uh, the spirit hovering over the face of the water and he's moving and he, and he brings God's word into, into being, into existence. God speaks and the power of his word and spirit creates all things. Who else can do this? You know anyone else that has this power? Anyone else that has this ability? Who else in all of the universe can simply speak and things come into being? Only God can. Only God can. And so this is how this is good news for us this morning. God hasn't stopped speaking, my friends. It's not like he spoke creation into being and he stopped speaking. He still speaks to us this morning. He still comes to us and creates new life through his word and spirit. He, he comes to those who are spiritually dead, those who, uh, of us, all of us who have rebelled against him. This relationship with God is broken. We are spiritually dead now when we come into this, into this world, but he still comes to us and he speaks to us and he raises dead hearts and he gives us life through his word and spirit. Jesus says in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and, and you hear from its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In the beginning, God spoke. He creates life, and he continues to do it today. If you are born again this morning, if you know Christ, if you are a Christian, it, at some point in your life, God came to you and he spoke the word about Christ and he gave you life. He said, rise, dry bones. Come to life. Come into relationship with me. I give you spiritual life. I give you my spirit, which gives you life. Only God can do this. There's no one else who can do this. Spiritually dead people can do nothing but be dead. And here comes God. And he speaks through his word and spirit. And he says, come to life. Come to life. And he also is saying to us this morning in his word, he's also telling us, he's also showing us what? He's also showing us that he's not only, uh, he's not just personal, but that he is sovereign. That he is the creator. He's telling us loud and clear in his word spoken to us that there is none like him. There is no power greater than his power. That, there is, that, that he is not created. He has always existed. And verse 1 gives us this reality and truth that is so hard for our finite minds to understand. In the beginning, God. Period. 
There is no prequel to that. There's no backstory. It just simply says, in the beginning, God. There's nothing before him. There's nothing that created him. He is the creator. He's always existed. And there is nothing, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that brought him into existence. He has always been and he will always be. And so as a result, there is nothing that exists that does not owe his existence to him. Nothing. Everything you touch, everything you see, everything you smell, everything was made by him. And so as a result of this, God is the ultimate authority in the universe. All of creation is under his authority. He is sovereign. That's how creation works. He creates. He has final say. He has final authority over all of creation. And so this truth is such good news for our heart. And it's this. If God is not sovereign then can we really trust him that he is going to provide for us and protect us? Right? Like, I mean, if there are these rival powers, if there are other rival powers that that come against his rule and reign, I mean, what hope do we have then that he's actually going to fulfill his promises? We We don't have any hope, right? There is no assurance There there is no confidence that God will do what he says he will do if he is not sovereign. But if he is sovereign, as he is telling us, as he's speaking to us in his word that he is sovereign, we now can have hope, which hope is confident expectation that God will do what he promises to do always. Always. So, I don't know if you're going through difficult times in your life and you're kind of questioning things and things seem pretty dark, things seem pretty chaotic, things pretty, seem pretty broken. Maybe there's suffering. Maybe there's some doubt. Maybe there's some darkness, whatever it may be. Even in the midst of all of that, you can trust and you can rest and you can cling to that God will see to it that he will fulfill his promises to you, that he will protect you, that he will keep you, that he will provide for you, that you are his, that nothing can separate you from him if you are in Christ. All those promises are true because he is sovereign. And nothing can break those promises. And that's really good news for us. We can bank on that. It can be our foundation as we go throughout this life that he is sovereign. But listen to this also. Because he created all things and God is sovereign, then that means that he is sovereign and we are not. And so as a result of that, our desires and wills and actions should line up with God's will and desires and action because he is sovereign and we're not. He is the creator, we are the creation, and we, our lives should, should measure, our lives should, should, should be at this, this, this image of imaging him and, and, and doing what he wants us to do. But the reality and the question is, do they? I mean, as created beings, when we wake up in the morning, this should be our thought. This should be our desire. It should be the cry of our hearts that it's like, God, my creator, you created me. You are sovereign. You reign over my life. So as a result, may your will be done in my life. 
It should be, it should be uh, we should find ourselves saying that, God, all I want, all I need, all that I need to have is you and you alone. Is that the reality of our lives? For honest, and I'm honest with you, the answer to that question is no. More often than not, my heart's desire is, may my will be done. All I really want is what I want. How can this be? I mean, in light of being God's most loved and cherished creation, how can we be more concerned about us than we are him? I mean, for honors ourselves, how is there this part of us that finds ourselves very indifferent to knowing this God who created us? Why is that? I mean, why, why do we find in our hearts this little desire to worship this good and magnificent and great God? I mean, why do we even find ourselves maybe even a little sleepy this morning? Maybe it's me, but... I mean, why do we find ourselves just kind of going throughout the day and maybe days without even thinking and acknowledging him and who he is? This is a tragedy, isn't it? But it's the reality of our hearts. It's the reality of our lives. And it's because of this that our relationship with him is broken. In just a few moments, we're going to to take the bread and we're going to take the, the juice for Lord's Supper. And it's really, really important for us to remember and be reminded that when we look at the bread and when we look at the juice, we should see that our Creator came to be our Savior. In Colossians 1.15, it says this about Jesus. Listen very carefully. That He, that Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, Jesus, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he, Jesus, holds, is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body of the church, which is us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. When we see Jesus, we see the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see the one who created all things. When we see Jesus, we see the one who who all things exist for. When we see Jesus, we see the one who holds all of creation together even now. He holds everything in your life together. He sustains you, everything in your life. And when we see the bread and the juice, we see Jesus, the creator. He came to be our savior. You see, when we look at the bread and the juice, it tells us that our creator came and his body was broken and his blood was shed to cover all of our failures of submitting to our creator's will. Every single one of us here this morning, we have failed to submit our lives and our wills to our Creator. We have rebelled against Him. We have said in our heart, we don't don't want you, we don't need you, we don't desire you. I mean, the God who created us to know Him and to find our hope and treasure in Him, we said, "We we don't want you. We treasure created things more than you. 
And as a result of this, it should cause us to be separated from him forever. But the creator came to be our savior and he came and he took all the times we failed to measure up and to live out his will. He took it upon himself. He was found guilty. He was crushed so that God could cover those and forgive us of all the things that we have done to fail to measure up to his standards and will and bring us back to him. So this is what I want us to do. This is what I, what I want to, us to reflect on as we take the Lord's Supper. Guys, if you find yourself this morning saying, yes, Father. We looked at this last week. We looked at the prayer, right? Father, like, may your will be done. If it is the cry of our heart this morning, Father, may your will be done in our life. Yes, God, I know that you created me for the purpose of knowing you, and I want to know you. I want to seek you. I want to find life in knowing you and doing your will. Help me. Help me to know you. Help me to seek you. Help me to do your will. I mean, if this is the cry of your heart, then spend some time reflecting and telling him and confessing the areas in your life that you're just keeping him out of. What are those areas? What are those areas that you that you want to remain sovereign over? I don't know what those are. What are those areas that you're just keeping him out of? What in your life dominates your time and your thoughts more than him? I want you to spend some time reflecting on that and thinking about that. But as you do, I want you to also remember, as you take the the bread and the juice, I want you to be assured that because your creator came to be your savior, and that his body was broken, He covers all of your failures in doing his will. And he sees you in Jesus. He sees you in the perfection of Jesus. He sees you as if you have obeyed his will perfectly because he sees you in his son, Jesus Christ. So be assured. But as you do that, he's also given you his word and his spirit to help you. To help you live out his will for you. To seek him, to know him. For that is why we were created. We were created to know him and to long for him and to thirst for him and to seek him above everything else in our lives. So let's do that. You want to? You want to seek him? You want to spend some time with him? I hope that you have seen the beauty and the significance of creation. That God created you to know him, to enjoy him, and to find your hope and life in him and his will. Such good news. So let us spend some time reflecting on that. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper.